What are you worth? Nope, we're not talking about your bottom line. We're talking about the value of your time and your talent. Short answer, maybe more than you're charging. That's true even when you're not billable. And that's what we're talking about today. The Speakeasy Podcast. Honest conversations about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business? We probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. You know what's worth a moment? Is this mint julep, Karen. Oh, I do love a mint julep. This one's made with Woodford Reserve Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey, so it's legit. It's, you know, just gorgeous. And this mint smell is making me so happy. It's spring. It is spring. It, and, and mint is so fresh and alive, and I love it in a beverage. And a salad, but mostly also beverage. beverage. <laughs> it's like a salad in a glass. <laughs> nope, it's like booze in a glass. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So this isn't about your bottom line. This is really about, I don't care about net worth. I'm talking about your time. And, and I think it's easy when you're in creative services to talk about an hourly value. But gosh, at home, you're not billing your kids for making eggs. I could bill my kids for making eggs. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Note that. <laughs> Note that. No, the, the truth about it is your, your time is very valuable and it's very finite, right? You can't, you can't make more. You can't control a lot of things that, that demand time and demand your schedule to be a certain way. So you have to treat that very carefully like you would a bank account. Yeah, nor can you put it on a shelf and use it later when you have more. It's right now. Right. And that's all you have. And that's it. Even though you have more deadlines than hours in the day. And desires to do good things in the world, then you have time. Right. So your time is absolutely worth something. So it doesn't matter that, you know, the PTO is asking you to do something or your volunteer organization and your community is doing something or that something at your office, you know, something at, at work is asking you to have extra time. Maybe that isn't billable. You know, your your time is absolutely worth something. So it's like, how do you start relating to time as value? I don't really know the answer to that question because I struggle with this one. I feel like I never have enough time for all the things I want to do. And I think that that's really common for women like you and I because everything looks fun. Volunteer opportunities are great. Children to take places, spouses, ideas, new products at work. There are so many places to spend time and I feel sometimes frozen with what I should do next. Do you feel like you value your professional time differently than you value your personal time? Yes, I feel like I do, even though I know that's the wrong answer. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think especially, I don't know, I don't know if this is an issue with men or women, but I do know that it's very easy for me to compartmentalize uh, the efficacy I need to find at work versus my time at home. You know, I consider my time at home kind of quote unquote free time, even though that's met with a lot of tasks. <laughs> you have free time? No one has free time. Come on. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's my time away from work, which is which is actually an interesting issue. Like I relate to that as free time and I'm doing everything that every working mom does with shuttling and homeworking and musicking and concerting and swimming, like the things, all the things. 
And I think, you know, it's definitely seasonal. When I was young, I definitely just had less things to do. I felt just as busy, but I definitely had less responsibility, fewer things demanding my time. And so I look back now at my 20s like, oh, I had so much time on my hands. I had so much autonomy. I had all the time to do anything I wanted, which feels very different than my 40s. So I know some of that is seasonal, but I think you're right. Some of that might be women. We want to commit. We want to feather a nest, whether that nest be your your home or your office or your relationships with your friends or whatever. So the urge to spend all of your time in a desperate hurry hits me pretty frequently. Yeah. So my observation about you is that you're not rigid, but you relate to your professional time as this is my billable time and I know what my capacity is and I know what I need to hit. So you're kind of serious about it. So how come, and, and I feel the same way about mine. So how come we can't relate to our personal time in the same way? Because neither one of our calendars are any different. We're busy. Our calendars are overwhelmed. Um, nobody wants to hear about how busy you are because everybody's so busy. So what if we started measuring our non-billable time? So whether you call it free time or you call that personal time, What if we started measuring our free time as in what the outcome is? So at work, we live and die by the billable hour. Our free time is what outcome do you want? Right. Do you want a beautiful, tranquil home? Do you want all the pop culture knowledge of all the movies that are out there? Do you want, I don't know, gosh. Yeah, so if you measured it by I I want to be able to run that marathon. So you could look at it by outcome. That, to me, feels like a layer of stress, though. Well, so I referenced earlier that it was free time. Anything outside of work is free time. And there isn't really anything that's free. I have obligations that, um, spoken or unspoken, I have committed to as a mother and as a wife, as a partner. And so, you know, simple things that are stressors like bills and groceries and laundry and house cleaning are things that are non-negotiable. Most times. I mean, within reason. So what if I related to every hour of my time? Not like I'm scheduling my life to make myself stressed out. For If I'm taking a, an hour to prepare three meals for the week, is that an outcome that is consistent with my goals, that meets a satisfaction level? Yeah, absolutely. Sure it is. And then that means that on a future day two or three days down the road, I have a greater connection with my family because there's less stress on the agreement that I have in my family that I make dinner. So whether it's that or whether I hire somebody through a shopping service to do my grocery shopping or whether I hire somebody to clean my home, those are all things that uh, are trade-offs for what my hour is worth right? and what my outcome is, the desired outcome I want. So you are saying that it's a simple opportunity cost equation. An hour spent here means you don't have the hour to spend there. You have to choose where those priorities are and put your hours accordingly. So part of the equation for me is opportunity cost. So if I do takeout, I have traded money for a delivered meal or whether that's cooking or grocery delivery. But If I find myself on my couch making sure I've caught up with Twitter or Facebook as the next episode of whatever on Netflix is queuing up, and all of a sudden it's an hour later than I thought, is that outcome for that hour because I've lost myself? Is that consistent with what I wanted to do? And sometimes the answer is yes. I just want to turn my brain off. But sometimes it's, I'm just going to look at this real quick and then hop on the treadmill 
or I'm going to figure out what the summer schedule for my kids is or, or whatever the personal goal is. And sometimes the answer is no. And so it's about did I create an outcome for that amount of time? Right. So I can't say that losing myself accidentally in social media and making non-face-to-face interpersonal you know, relationships work. I, I can't say that that's actually what I intended the outcome to be. But it's easy to justify that it's like, oh, but I needed it. That's true. It's easy to justify. Yeah. Now, I have solved some of that by just doing the um, social media and Netflixing while on the treadmill. So you can multitask there. I've done that, too. Yeah. Why, why Netflix on the couch when you can do it on the treadmill, right? Yeah, absolutely. Netflix on the treadmill or uh, so sometimes I walk and get my steps in while my son's in music lessons. And as soon as I dropped him off, at, and I just stay right there on the property. And as soon as I dropped him off, I walked out and it started hailing and then raining. And I instantly made a really sad face and walked inside. And I looked at a parent that I've seen before. And I was like, I just wanted to get my steps in. And he was like, oh, that stinks for you. And then I'm like, nope, hood up put the book on tape in, you know, the, mm-hmm. the audio book in, go. And I, and, I, and I walked for 30 minutes. You did it anyway. I did it anyway. And I was, you know, it was cold, but it was, I was no worse for wear. But that's because you looked at it as a goal, not an activity, right? right. So your, your goal was to get your steps in, not an activity of, I think I'll walk while, we're, while I'm waiting. But it was also, what is my time worth? Because I couldn't get that 30 minutes in any other time yesterday. Right. That was it. That was my 30 minutes to do the thing. And so really, for me, it was about what, what outcome did I want? So that means for you, your time is valuable enough that you are regimented about understanding the outcomes you want for the day, both in and out of the office, and you will plan accordingly. This is an example that's actually really in line with, you know, what I want. It's not what I actually do every day. Right. You know, that it's not always <laughs> consistent. We all have both of those ideas. But so what about professionally? You know, so if we take all of our time seriously, you know, you and I both agree that we take our professional time seriously, but and personal time is a work in progress. So but what about making sure people compensate you for your professional time appropriately? How do we figure that out? And I think that's a really good one for small entrepreneurs. So we just we just had this example in the office. We got an RFP for a project, and they wanted all the deliverables, and their budget was much too small. I mean, there was no way we could shoehorn in doing it the way we do it and doing it well into their budget. My instinct is to pitch it anyway, um, but we have another few bigger irons in the fire, so we had to decide if we have to struggle to get the compensation adequate at this juncture with this client Overall, they might not value our time accordingly, so we decided to leave it behind. So there's sort of two time stories there. Number one, understanding what our time is worth and our talent is worth, because some of this is when you talk about worth, what is your time worth, what is your talent worth and your experience worth, and understanding if we have 12 things to do and we only have time for 11, which thing do we have to give up? So you look at which one is most appropriate and which one is least likely to fit your goals in the end. So that worth conversation for the office to me is sort of twofold. It's about time and it's about people respecting your value and your expertise. You're always going to have more things that is requested of you than you're able to accomplish. So then if your demands on your time are greater than the value that you have for your time, what does that say? (laughs) It says you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. There was a photograph 
that there's a story about a, an Alaskan photograph that you told me too. Sure, this is you know an internet meme, and somebody had a beautiful photo from Alaska, and the story of what is this photograph worth? And without getting into what a photograph is actually worth, the author was it's worth the time it took me to get to the shot, the time to find the perfect shot, the cost of all of my equipment, the cost of my airfare, the cost of my training, and the many years of my talent. That math doesn't add up to the number that most viewers would expect. So that understanding of value and worth is very different for a highly talented person like this photographer than it might be for a layman who's just looking at a photo online, right? Absolutely. And I think creatives particularly have that struggle and people... No, I would, I'll take that back. It's not even creatives. I think people who have great expertise have that struggle because they make it look easy or, or it looks effortless in the end. But that effortless look only comes with years and years of experience and understanding efficiencies and nuances, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually remember um, it wasn't until we were on a podcast at some point after the render brand launch that you had said something to me about, you know, we even talked about maybe doing your rebrand for free. And it was a huge like, what for me? Because I may not hesitate to approach a friend to collaborate equally on something for the good of the whole, but I would always expect to pay real money for real talent for actual results. Yes, and I agree with you. And I think we had a really productive conversation about that. But I think that points back to maybe our earlier point that there's a difference in my head sometimes that I'm trying to break between professional behavior and personal behavior. And so because personally we are friends, my first instinct is I will help my friend. How can I help my friend? And helping friends doesn't come with a price tag. However, when you think about helping a business succeed, doing that strategically and thoroughly and well, that does come with a price tag as it should. Yeah. So understanding the difference there, I think that was an interesting conversation in for for us to have. But I will say, and I think you and I both agree, bartering at work and freebies and favors in the workplace, I don't think either of us are comfortable in that space. Yeah. And I think freebies in the, in the um, spirit of nurturing a passion project, a nonprofit, like we can all agree that doing something like that when you are committed to a cause and you really want to move a passion project forward, that's one thing. But freebies and bartering for me is a little tricky. I feel like regardless of how you set it up, someone is always going to end up on the losing side of the value equation. And it may be you or it may be your person that you have a relationship with, and you don't want to be either one of those people. And so, um, and you never want to have the conversation that I did X for you, but you only did X minus two for me. X minus two for me. Exactly. And so you don't want to have that conversation. And then what that's, what that leaves you with is resentment or irritation or whatever's there's a gap there in the relationship and it just, it's uh, not a healthy thing because then you've not paid each other equally for exactly what the, either the cost or the value is. Right. And sometimes there would be a gap in the product. So you might get a product that's slightly subpar because there might be some resentment or details aren't tied down because we feel like I'm not getting paid for this time or something along those lines, which I don't think anyone would do intentionally to a friend. But resentments and pressures happen. And in in a work environment where I've got billable hours or I have favor hours, when push comes to shove, where are you going to put your time? As I've already said, 
you're always going to have more demand than you have for time if you're doing it right, right? Right. So if you have to prioritize the thing, you're going to prioritize the revenue-generating client that has a real de- real deadline over the thing that you have to, quote-unquote, fit in. So, And that's such an interesting thought because if we all get to the mentality that our time is very, very, very valuable and we should spend it very judiciously and think very thoughtfully about where we spend our time, then do we make different and better choices about our lifestyles in general? You know, and that was what I was going to say. My next question for you was, how are we going to fix it? (laughs) So uh, I don't know if there's a fix, but I would like to start with self-control. So (laughs) I'm going to take some responsibility real quick. And we've said it before by saying, hey, stop saying yes to everything, which means you have to start saying no to the thing. But we've never really talked about, well, well, how do you do that? How do you start actually saying no? And I think because we've already said the amount of good you want to do in the world is always going to exceed the amount of time you have to do it. You could be a professional volunteer, for goodness sakes. Sure, you could. And we are, we are not those women. It would feel lovely to be able to be so. I would like to be a grant-funded video production company. Yes. That exists. I would make all of the videos for all of the good causes. We've talked about this before. If we didn't have to depend on clients to pay the bills, the, the amount of work in and the work we did, we would do beautiful things for beautiful people all of the time yeah. if that was grant-funded somehow. Yeah. And so if, if there's a funder out there that would magically like to pay for excellent marketing and video products for wonderful organizations, give us a call. We would like to be the 501c3 of all of the free shit. <laughs> yeah. Right? That would be great. We would like to be the 501c3 of all of the free, amazing, effective content. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And I'm going to call us on this a little bit. I guarantee you I have given discounted or competitive rates to nonprofits who need them. And I know you have a policy about that as well. Yep. So even though we're talking a big game earlier about not doing barter and trade, we do accommodate. However, there there still has to be skin in the game a little bit of it, right? Yeah. They still have to pay a dollar because if you are not paying for a service, even a little bit of it, your responsibility feels different. Yeah, and actually, for many, many years, we did um, up to a certain amount annually of nonprofit work for free, and it was like $100,000 annually we would give. And, and, you know, for a corporation, there's no tax break for that. That's just being good. That's just being a good steward of your community. And it started to shift that we weren't as satisfied in that work. So what we ended up doing is scaling back slightly and we ended up doing a dollar for dollar match with nonprofits that had small budgets that were asking for something that was an extension of what they were able to do. So if somebody came to us with an $8,000 match, we could do a $16,000 thing. So we ended up scaling back what we were doing for free because again, like you said, there was skin in the game and that has resulted in much more satisfying work. Uh, much more effective work, and clients who are much happier with the outcomes. You know, one of the things that um, you and I have talked about in the past is, you know, well, how do you fix the problem of what do you work? And you've said, like, well, add 30%. Yeah. You know, I got that advice when I was really young from a designer who was mentoring me, and she's like, whatever you think it costs, add 30%, which felt impossible and difficult, but, man, she was right. Some days I feel like adding 60%. So where did you come up with 30%? Well, I think this is twofold. For people who want to do it really well and who care about the details and know that the job always could have another piece of refinement or another element to it, right? 
that 30% really accounts for a third extra, that, that accounts for the extra credit you know you're going to give, or the unknowns that you know you will find. So I think 30%, honestly, is somewhat random of a number, but I think understanding it's just enough to make you think this is worth more than you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think regardless of what the percentage is, the message really is you're probably undervaluing your time. Right. And so whether that means you have to adopt and investigate a blended rate, a blended hourly rate structure, or whether you have to figure it out differently, or whether you need to increase by more because you're adopting a value-based proposition. But value-based propositions aren't for everyone. They're not for everyone. And we see it in our creative industries where people have commoditized their offerings, things that Karen and I would never commoditize. So some people are very comfortable saying, here's my menu, order one, two, three, or four, best of luck. I guess that works. Well... I think if you're working on value-based pricing and you're producing Twinkies, is a reference that you've used with me in the past, um, that that's fine because you need so many Twinkies a day to make, you know, the production line hum, to keep the lights on in the production facility. But is that really the service that you're giving someone? Because um, at the end of the day, if you're delivering Twinkies, you should be delivering nourishment as the service, not right. Twinkies as the deliverable. Well, and if we if we use that metaphor, which I think is hilarious, by the way. Yeah, because Twinkies, uh, you know, I haven't Twinkies. had one since third grade, but they I remember them as being amazing. The thing about Twinkies, too, is you can put them on the shelf, right? And the Twinkie you give client A is the same as the Twinkie you give to client B. And that's just not how we do our business. No. So finding that unique solution is a different business model than something that's programmatically the same. Yeah, absolutely. I would never, never pull a Twinkie off the shelf and go, you know, I didn't use this for the last guy, but it might fit for you. See if it's delicious. Right. Yum. Yum. Oh, man. <laughs> side, side note, uh, I remember when I was a kid, Twinkies were a, uh, a lunch bag institution in the house I grew up in. And uh, if you looked at the bottom side of the Twinkie, there were three holes mm-hmm. where the filling of the whatever was injected. And I remember my brother looking at me one day when we were making our lunches and, and he goes, you know how they get the cream in there, right? Because I loved them. And I'm like, no, how? And he goes, a, la- a big lady with all the cream spits it into each Twinkie before she wraps it up. And it put me off Twinkies. <laughs> and I think it was strategic. I think I think Brian wanted all the Twinkies to himself. Brian, he wanted thanks. To, he wanted to turn you off of Twinkies so he had more control. Or, yeah, he, but he was doing you a favor, really. <laughs> Not when I was in third grade, man. <laughs> he actually told me it was a big Russian woman. Oh, my gosh, that's there. funny. I, you know, I think when it comes to fixing how you – fixing your mentality about what you're worth – I think it, it, it takes really that goal-oriented mindset that you were talking about earlier. What do I want at the end of the day? Why am I doing what I'm doing, whether that be at home or at work? Why am I spending my hours here? What do I want to get out of it? And understanding, making the good choices to get you t- closer to your goal, right? And if you start to think of your worth, your time and its value, and what you're giving to the world in whatever way you contribute— I think you, your perception of your worth increases. Whatever you do, you do it with thought, and you, you're bringing care, and you're bringing a fresh idea, and 
stopping to think about the value that brings to your employer or your friends or your organization or your family is a pretty good feeling. It's an absolutely great feeling. And and you can't stop by the end game isn't because you've thought about it. It's because you're able to appropriately communicate that value. And that's really the end game. That's how it's going to eventually make a difference for you and your relationship with your clients. So thinking about it is absolutely thing one, but really being able to define it for yourself and doing the hard work that it is to maybe restructure how you run your business. It's a huge change, but it's um, it's one that will end up being far more fulfilling in the long run. Right. Let's talk a, one more minute about this mint julep because um, I I just, there's something about the mint that just makes me, like, every time you put your nose into the glass, it's this fresh thing. It just says spring. And the funny thing about that is before I was a bourbon or a whiskey drinker, I I didn't really understand how great it mixed with fresh pieces. I always perceived it as something you'd have neat around the rocks. Just right for spring, for sure. Thanks, Um, Woodford. But we love hearing from everybody. Where can they do that? They can ping us at speakeasypodcast.com to check out what's going on, or they can find us at Easy Underground on all the social channels. And we love to have little conversations with you offline, so please do reach out. Yeah, and thanks for all of your feedback and your support. That gives me a great segue into our next episode, where we're talking a little bit about hiring. I have decided that there are too many things on my to-do list and the value of them is getting squished. So we're hiring some new staff. That's super exciting. I think we both agree that hiring new staff is one of the most difficult boss duties around. We've both had our ups and downs when it comes to bringing on talent. Sometimes we've hit it out of the ballpark. But other times, not so much. So what's the key to doing it right? Talk to you next time. 